Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. 
Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Very excited to be back with you today with my guest, Iris McAlpin. And we are going to talk about a lot of different subject matter today around trauma and healing, including self-sabotage and how it's connected to childhood trauma, where our inner critic comes from, how to do the inner adult work, and why trauma healing is a necessary and slow process. And so in this episode, very excited to dive in to share those experiences with you that she and I both have as we've gone through this entire process of getting to where we are today. And it's one of those conversations, I think, when you have the ability to have a back and forth like this, it makes the experience more relatable. Um, before we get into that, of course, I'm going to leave a review, as we always do, from uh, Christy, Chrissy Brenner on iTunes. So thank you so much for taking time to leave the review. Um, it means the world to me. I say this all the time, but seriously, guys, if you go on iTunes, leave that review, hit that five stars. It helps this information be accessible to more people. So think about this. If you came by Think Unbroken podcast in passing or on social media or just searching on iTunes, like these reviews matter because people like I think about this all the time. Like I'm the kind of person I, I will read 97, 9700 reviews on Amazon before I buy something. So please do me a favor and leave a review. It matters a lot. So from Chrissy Brenner, the title is inspiring. To listen to this podcast and the realness represented here is truly refreshing. It's not easy to talk about the hard stuff or even confront the things that we are responsible for in our own lives. Michael does a great job of communicating these things, though, in a way that, at least in my opinion, does not cast judgment from someone who has truly been there. Definitely worth listening to. And his book is a good his book is good as well. It's very helpful. So thank you, Chrissy. I appreciate that. This episode with with Iris is phenomenal and we go deep. And so if you're in this place where you're in this position in life, you're trying to figure out, you know, what's next and why you keep sabotaging and why you can't seem to get out of your way and what is going on, like you're going to want to listen to this. Um, it's practical, right? And I, I think that's really the goal of what I'm always trying to do here with the show. So I hope that you find that to be true in this episode as well. So without further ado, my friends, Iris McAlp. What's up, Unbroken Nation? Hello, my friends. I'm Michael Unbroken, host of the Think Unbroken podcast and founder of thinkunbroken.com. And I'm honored to be your trauma coach and mentor because I believe that everyone is capable of getting unstuck, cultivating self-love, and becoming the hero of their own story. I believe that when implemented correctly, the practical tools and education you will receive from this show will help you lead an unbroken and extraordinary life. I believe that no matter what we come from, that we all have the ability to choose ourselves first, to create and manifest a powerful and grace-filled future, and love the reflection in the mirror. I believe that every day is a day to grow, learn, heal, and change. That's why I started my company, thinkunbroken.com which is an online training and healing and personal growth platform where you get everything that I know about how to get motivated, be accountable, get out of the vortex, and become the hero of your own story through community, connection, and commitment. For more information, visit thinkunbroken.com. Please listen closely as you may learn just one thing that will help you be unbroken. And please share this episode with at least three of your friends because we all need community and connection in our healing journey. And be sure to DM me and tag me on Instagram at Michael Unbroken so that I can say hi. I just want to thank you again for being a part of this, for listening 
and being a member of the Unbroken Nation. Now, let's get into today's show and make the world unbroken. Hey, what's up Unbroken Nation? Michael Unbroken here, author, speaker, coach, and advocate for adult survivors of childhood trauma. And you, of course, are listening to the Michael Unbroken podcast. Today, I'm joined by Iris McAlpin, who is a certified trauma coach, an NARM practitioner specializing in self-sabotage, eating disorder, recovery, and complex trauma. After recovering from severe bulimia, CPTSD, and depression, she now spends her life helping people all over the world overcome similar struggles through trauma-informed education and coaching in both group and private settings. Iris, it's like I'm reading my own bio here. <laughs> Thank wow. you so much for coming on and being a part of the, the podcast today. Um, first and foremost, I, I have a huge amount of appreciation for the effort and energy you've put into the world to create change. Um, tell the audience a little bit about who you are and how you got to this moment. Ooh, okay. So let's see. Well, so you gave me a pretty good intro already. So yes, I am a trauma coach and I'm a NARM practitioner, which stands for the Neuroaffective Relational Model, which is just a really beautiful model for working with complex and developmental trauma. And I, I came by this path pretty honestly. I experienced a pretty significant amount of trauma in my early childhood. And I didn't know to label it that until much, much, much later. I would say I was in my late 20s by the time I really figured out what had happened. And I did know very clearly that I was experiencing a ton of symptoms from bulimia to depression, anxiety. I was basically living life with both hands tied behind my back for, for many, many years. And so when I, I started exploring trauma education and picked up a few books, my mind was completely blown. And from that point, I became a little bit obsessed with trauma. I've done hundreds of hours of, of training in, in trauma in the last few years. And it's my all-consuming passion to spread trauma-informed education as far and wide as I can. Yeah, I, I totally relate to that. Like word for word, almost, it's, it's pretty impeccable what you just said. And for me, so much of it, it started with this moment when I was looking at my life. And, you know, if you rewind my life 10 years ago, I didn't have words in my vocabulary like self-sabotage. And self-help to me, I thought was nonsensical. I thought trauma like was you get over it, right? And, and the more I got over it, right, quote unquote, the worse my life got. Um, and, and I think about this all the time without the deep dive and, and I'll say this, I'll preface it with this. I never had any intention of doing what I do now and nor do I honestly ever want this job. Like I'm always like, how do I put myself out of business by healing the world? Because ultimately I think that it's nonsensical that I even have a place for this conversation. Now, obviously on a long enough timeline, I believe that happens, but for anyone who's starting this journey, I think it always starts with day one. One of the words that you mentioned was symptoms. Talk to me about what you started to notice in your life, which became indicative of this idea of, you know what, maybe I need to dive into this thing. Yeah, so what's interesting is that, you know, my, my first stage of coaching, I guess you could say, I was working mostly with eating disorders because I had through years and years of, of therapy and coaching and research sort of figured out what was going on with my own eating disorder. And at that point, 
I was pretty clear that there was a connection between eating disorders and trauma, but there wasn't a lot of literature around that. Like in the, in the academic literature, there was very little at that time about that. And so I started running a program for eating disorders specifically. And I started noticing this pattern that every single person in my programs had experienced some kind of, of early trauma and some cases later trauma as well. But I just knew that there had to be something to this. This wasn't just a coincidence. And so thankfully in, in recent years, there's been a lot more research to show this connection between the two but I really relate to eating disorders as a symptom of trauma rather than they're, you know, a separate thing unto themselves. And of, of course, that's not going to be true in absolutely every single situation. But for many people, it is in some ways a very logical way to try to manage some pretty unmanageable symptoms of trauma. Some of the, the nervous system dysregulation, some of the intense feelings, you know, food is is ever present and, and available. And so if we need something to calm us down, even just temporarily, it can be a very effective short-term tool. Of course, the long-term effects of that are not so good, but it makes sense on some level. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And it's such an food is such an easy coping mechanism. And right. And I, I look at the spectrum and that pendulum swings both ways because I found myself at 350 pounds. Right. And it takes a tremendous amount of effort to get there. Right. And, and what I thought at the time was you go look at my family. And one of the things I started to understand was the, the long-term impact of generational trauma. And I looked at coming from this family who many of the members are overweight and obese, had diabetes. My, my mother lost her leg to diabetes and drugs and things of that nature, right? And, and that measurement became this really interesting focal point for me because I stopped thinking like, oh, this is actually inherent in my DNA. And I started thinking about this idea that maybe it's because of what happened to me in my past. Was there something outside of only, because I, I I think what happens, right, we as coaches, especially we start using the, the big words and we get lost in the simplicity of it all. What were kind of the early indicators to you? Because people, this was my experience. I looked at my life and I said, oh, this is just how life is. This is just how it's supposed to be, right? Was there an early indicator to you in any way about like, maybe something's wrong? Was there something you could place your finger on? It's a good question. I mean, Depression started pretty early for me. I started having struggles with that when I was nine years old. And by the time I was 12, I was crying myself to sleep every single night. And I think I didn't talk to anybody about that, but I was pretty sure that that was not normal. And so that was one of my first indicators that something's not quite right here. And at that time, I didn't really have a lot of education and psychology. I think that was around the age I picked up my first psychology book because I was just trying to figure out what the heck was going on. But that was sort of my first indicator. And then, I mean, bulimia is a pretty glaring red flag. And that started a few years after that. And so that was a pretty clear sign to me that like something, there's something going on with you internally. At, you know, that's such a young age to have that much insight within yourself to be like, I'm going to start reading and, and learning about this. What, what were the biggest lessons that you started to implement from 
education that you applied to your life, especially that young? And was there anything that was actually practical for you then? Or did it take years later before that really started to sit with you? It took years. Yeah, it, it, it was a pretty steady downward spiral, even at that age. I, I knew that I had a family history of, of depression. And so there was some awareness that, okay, maybe this is inherited. Maybe I didn't have the words intergenerational trauma at that time, but there was some kind of vague sense that maybe some of this had passed down, not even just through genetics, but even in just ways of being and acting and relating to ourselves and to the world. Probably couldn't have articulated it that way when I was 12, but there was some just sort of deep knowing that maybe this was part of my family lineage. But it, honestly, at that time, that made me feel a little bit helpless because it was like, well, this is just how it is for me. This is how it's going to be. I inherited this, so there's nothing I can do about it. And I got pretty hopeless over the years. And then when I was in high school, I was in an abusive relationship that kind of kicked everything even into further high gear. And so it really honestly wasn't until I hit what I guess most people would call rock bottom when I was 19 years old. And I started to realize that if I continued on the path that I was on, it was going to be just an absolutely epic train wreck that I needed to start making some shifts and I, I needed to start taking recovery seriously because up until that point, I really hadn't. And so that was, that was a wake up call. And then from there, I think it just became glaringly obvious that that I needed to 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 take advantage of the help that I was already getting because so I was very fortunate to to have a therapist already at that point. I just wasn't really making use of it. Yeah, I I totally relate to everything you just said, and I I have been battling this dare I call it inner conflict about creating change in the world of being able to do it and help people without the risk of rock bottom being the catalyst. And as much as I try to wrap my head around this, I just have not come up with a solution because I, I just innately, and I hate to say it, and it, it's such an inner conflict in the way that I, I think about this journey. I just don't know how you help people or even ask for help and tell your backs against the wall and you go, well, shit, it's do or die at this point, right? And so I don't think you necessarily need to like dive into your rock bottom, but what ultimately, why, you know, cause here's what happens. I think people get to that place and then you're faced with this interesting crux, right? You can go one way or the other. Why was it in that moment that you had decided, you know what, I'm going to push myself into what's next. Yeah. Well, you know, in some ways I wish I could say like, oh, you know, I just decided it was important to love myself or something nice and sweet like that. But really what it was is that I really hurt someone else. I really um, betrayed someone's trust and, and broke someone's heart. And it, I knew that that was going to continue to be a pattern and I didn't want to be that person. I felt like I was living these dual lives. I had this life that, you know, looked relatively okay on the surface. I imagine I wasn't fooling as many people as I thought it was probably, but you know, it looked relatively okay on the surface, but then I was doing some really destructive and dangerous things in secret. And 
I think at that stage, honestly, I was still pretty okay with that. I was still okay with, with hurting myself, but I wasn't okay with hurting other people. And so that was a motivator for me. It was the biggest motivator for me at that time. Yeah, I, I get that. And, and that's hard, right? Because in some way, and this was my experience, and I'd love to know your thoughts because I've seen this in my clients as well. Um, in some ways, we justify that behavior. We look at it and we go, okay, fine. This is who I, I would always say, this is who I am. Right. And I'd be like, I'm not going to change. And you don't like it, then leave. And, you know, whatever that thing was. And my nomenclature was so much about blaming other people and just looking at them and going, it's your fault because you don't like me for who I am, while understanding like I'm standing in front of my house while I have just set it on fire effectively. Right. And it's like, what, what good does that do? For me, I have this, this incredibly life-changing moment in a single shift in which I like literally when I stood in front of the mirror and I was like, Michael, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And for me, the words, no excuses, just results started just permeate my brain. Talk to me about the conversation that you were having internally with yourself in terms of your self-dialogue before and after the moment that you decided, you know what, I'm going to do something about this. Yeah. I mean, before it was pretty gnarly. I mean, I was just vicious to myself and I, I felt pretty hopeless up to that point. So yeah, I just, I thought I was absolutely irredeemably messed up and broken and unfixable and all of those things. And I thought, I honestly thought of myself as kind of a monster. Like there's just nothing that can be done. Hey, Unbroken Nation, quick pause in today's episode to tell you about the brand new Think Unbroken app. That's right. I just released a brand new app in the App Store that you can take the first course in the Think Unbroken curriculum, the five keys to healing trauma. It's a seven day course for free. All you have to do is go into your app store right now. You can pause this video and search Think Unbroken. That's on both Apple and Android. And you can take the Think Unbroken Five Keys to Healing Trauma, seven-day course for free. This is daily coaching from me. It's daily activities, daily check-ins. I built this course in this app specifically to bring huge value to you in your life, where you're at, and what you're trying to do, and going next and becoming the hero of your own story. So check out the App Store again, Apple and Android. Just simply search Think Unbroken, and you will see the Think Unbroken app. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. And so I have to at least try to consider, it's very hard to consider, but maybe try to consider that, that maybe that's not true. And if that's not true, then what do I need to do and sign me up? Cause I'm going to do it. So from that time, I threw myself into, to group therapy, which was the first time I'd ever done that. That was a huge turning point for me because prior to that point, I was operating under the assumption that I was the only person who was, you know, this screwed up. And of course that wasn't true. And a lot of the experiences that I was having and a lot of my internal dialogue was unfortunately relatively common. And it wasn't until I started hearing other people talk about their experiences that I started to, to feel some sense of, okay, like maybe this is part of the human condition. Maybe this isn't just an iris fundamental flaw. And I think too, I 
was very selective about what I shared with therapists and coaches up to that point. And by that, I mean, I didn't tell them pretty much any of the most important things that I probably should have told them. Cause I was like, no, they can't handle it. It's like too much, no point. I'm never going to fix it anyway. So I wasn't sharing those things. And then in group therapy, unless you're just sitting there plugging your ears, you're going to hear what other people are saying. And if they have similar experiences and you're listening to them getting feedback, you're, you're going to start to internalize some of that. So that's a huge part of the reason why I like to do group work is because it has this shame dissolving component. And then also, unless you're just not paying attention at all, you're going to be absorbing a lot from other people in the group. Yeah, spot on. And <laughs> it's funny, as we say this, I, I used to go to my therapist and give them hundreds of dollars of my money every week <laughs> and tell them what I thought they wanted to hear. Totally. Right? And, and I'm just like, that is not long-term sustainable and you'll get nothing from that. And to your point, the same incredible profound shift that I found myself in was being in a men's group therapy. And for the first time, really connecting not only with men, but in a safe space where I felt like I'm actually not alone here. Can you talk about, I want you to go deeper on this because I think people really don't understand the power of this because I think one-to-one -one therapy is becoming more of the social norm, right? And people go, okay, it's acceptable, but group therapy still feels very, or even group coaching, right? Still feels very much um, intertwined with shame and guilt. Can you go deeper about the power that it had in your life? And then on the other side of it now and what you do with coaching? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad you're asking this because I think the very thing that makes people afraid of it is the thing that makes it powerful in the sense that people have similar beliefs to what I have. Like, well, nobody can handle this level of messed up or nobody can handle my story or people will think I'm weird. Or even sometimes it's like, well, my problems aren't big enough and other people's problems are bigger than mine. And so they're going to judge me regardless of what that is people have a lot of preconceived notions about like what's what's allowed in a group setting on both ends of the spectrum. And I think that's, that's part of what makes it so potent is that, and I mean, it depends on the size of the group, but if you're in, let's say a group of 20 people, chances are there's gonna be at least a few people who have very similar experiences or similar ways of orienting toward the world or similar ways of relating to themselves. And we can listen to ourselves, talk to ourselves all day long. And that just sort of becomes background noise. But when you start to hear it outside of yourself and it's externalized, it just lands in such a different way. And so let's say somebody else in the group is saying, well, like, oh, well, I'm such a piece of shit for this or that. And you're listening to that and you're like, well, I tell myself that, but I don't think they're a piece of shit for, for doing that. It starts to create this cognitive dissonance that I think is really actually quite helpful. And we can have compassion for other people. It's so much easier for us to have compassion for other people. And when they're experiencing exactly what we're experiencing or something similar, then again, that cognitive dissonance comes in where we're like, well, okay, if I can feel compassion toward them, then then why is it not coming back to me in this exact same situation? And so it, it starts to kind of shake up our way of, of looking at ourselves. It, 
our way of looking at other people, the world, uh, I think the ripple effects from that can be pretty huge. Yeah. And, and it almost feels imperative to me at this point where you have to put yourself in this position of being in connection with other people, yeah. because until you do that, then you still kind of feel alone. Right. And you're like, okay, does anyone else really get this? And, and the connection I, in my coaching practice, it's community connection and commitment and those things being so important. But before you can even get to that place, you have to work through this idea of the way that you talk to yourself. And self-sabotage is a word that I think can often feel highfalutin because it kind of just hangs over everything in society right now. But it really is. If you think about it, sometimes you are more mean and unkind to yourself than you are to anyone else. Talk about the connection between this idea of negative self-talk, self-sabotage, and, and how it's connected to our childhood. Yeah, so... I actually just released an article about this today. So let's see if I can remember how I articulated this. But basically, um, there's this common idea in, in popular psychology that, that our negative self-talk is just an internalization of our, our parents' criticism. And I, I actually feel like it's much worse than that. We, we actively turn on ourselves when we're little to preserve our connection to our parents. And so this happens at different developmental stages and it looks and it looks and sounds a little bit different depending on what happened at these stages. But let's just say, you know, you're six months old, you probably don't remember this, and you desperately need something from your parents and you can't articulate that. And maybe they're paying attention, maybe they're like attuned to you maybe they're completely checked out and dealing with their own stuff. Either way, we're not getting what we need. And so in that moment, and of course we don't have the language for this when we're that little, but we have two choices. We can continue to ask for what we need and like scream and yell, which doesn't work. Or we can give up what we need and try to preserve that, that connection with our parents, because chances are they're getting frustrated with us if we're screaming and yelling all the time. And we always choose our parents, always, 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 because we, we absolutely need them for survival at that age. And that's not just being overly dramatic, like we literally do if, if babies aren't given sufficient love and attention and warmth, they, they often die. And so this, it's a phenomenon called failure to thrive or hospitalism. And so, so that we have this like survival threat in those situations. And then as we get older and as we start to have language and start to develop personalities, if our parents are constantly shutting us down, rejecting us, preventing us from developing our own autonomy and independence, again, we have to start to make these impossible choices. Do I continue to be true to myself and risk being rejected? Or do I do whatever I need to do to preserve the connection with my parents? And once again, we, we always choose that. And, and part of the way we manage to control some of those natural impulses is to, to turn on ourselves and think I'm, I'm bad, you know, I'm, I'm lazy, I'm whatever we start to say to ourselves, I'm stupid. By telling ourselves that we're essentially 
stopping ourselves in our tracks. And that's a really important thing to do in a lot of situations in childhood if we don't want to get punished, if we don't want to get rejected. And so a lot of that negative self-talk doesn't work out so well later on in adulthood, but when we're little, it, it does keep us in check, so to speak, and helps keep us in our parents' good graces. And that feels very, very, very important. Yeah. And at some point you have to look at it too, as a, it's a survival mechanism, right? Exactly. It's yeah. so much about if we put this in place, then we create a parameter of safety. And then it's reinforced through often negative things that happen that we're not allowed to step into being who we're capable of being. And that kind of creates this shadow that arcs over us for years to come. Talk about how you start to reframe that inner critic. Yeah, so there's really two things that I like to do if, if people are struggling with this. And this is these are things that I've used myself quite a bit. The first thing sounds strange to a lot of people at first, but if you say something really harsh to yourself, like let's say you forget your keys and you get in your car and you're like, oh my God, I'm so stupid. If you notice that you said that, just say like, wow, that wasn't a very nice thing to say, I'm sorry. And apologize to yourself. Just like you would apologize to someone else if you said something harsh that you, you didn't mean or if you said something that was hurtful to them. And I think people think this is weird for a couple of different reasons. One, a lot of times we're so used to, being harsh with ourselves and we're like it's not hurtful because it's just become so normal that we don't realize that we actually are hurting ourselves by by speaking to ourselves that way so i would just say if if it would hurt if somebody else said it to you then it hurts if you're saying it to yourself even if you're used to it and i think there's something about apologizing to yourself that just sounds weird because you're talking to yourself but i guess i always like to respond with if it's weird to call yourself an idiot or if it's not weird to call yourself an idiot then it shouldn't be weird to <laughs> apologize to yourself so I, I really like that because I think a lot of times people like to use affirmations they'll try to say something that's the opposite of what they're saying to themselves like if let's say you tend to call yourself stupid if you're telling yourself oh I'm so brilliant or oh I'm so smart and you don't believe that it's not really going to do anything but at least apologizing can come from a more heartfelt place. There's like a neutrality to that, that I think is easier to kind of wrap your head around. And so I just recommend trying it and seeing how it feels and it might feel a little funny at first, but just give it a little while and see. And then the other thing that can be really helpful is sort of what we were talking about in the group work is this externalization. It's like, there's kind of two pathways here. How would you respond to someone else saying the same harsh thing to you? You might defend yourself in that situation. And if you're defending yourself, then that's good information because that means that there's something about that attack that doesn't feel justified to you. Um, but then sometimes people might say like, oh, well, if somebody told me that I would agree with them. And so in that case, I think asking yourself the question, you know, how would I feel about somebody I really love saying this to themselves? And chances are you wouldn't feel so good about it. And so that can open some things up as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you're 
in this juxtaposition of trying to reframe and effectively reprogram yourself into that. And the gap of discomfort there is often so gigantic that people are terrified. And so you mentioned something just being notice, noticing, being cognizant of these moments in which you're being unkind. And one of the things that I think about is living life within a very binary parameter. And what that means for me is I do not allow myself to be unkind to myself, right? How important is like boundaries for self in this? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, I like that because it's, there's sort of a protectiveness there. Just as you would, I would imagine protect a, a small child that you really cared about. Like if somebody was coming at this child and saying mean things, you would stop that in its tracks. You would defend them, you would protect them. And so it sounds like you're doing that for yourself as well. Yeah, I think it's a must. I, I don't know how, if you're not kind to yourself, how could you be kind to the world? And often we get reciprocated back what we put out. And, and so much of that I discovered by really starting to do this, this work internally. And I know one of the things that you're big about is inner adult work, which is not discussed enough in addition to inner child work. Can you talk about that and what that really means? Sure. Yeah. So this comes from, from NARM. Um, and it's actually part of what I really love about NARM because in the trauma field, there is a lot of discussion of inner child work. And I think that can be really important, but it, particularly if we're looking at self-sabotage, I guess I'll distinguish really quickly. NARM talks about child consciousness and adult consciousness and, and child consciousness is really appropriate in childhood. That's like what you would expect. There's a lot of black and white thinking and sort of magical thinking. And then adult consciousness is more of that executive functioning, like the, the rational decision maker part of ourselves. And so if, if you're self-sabotaging a lot, those behaviors are coming from that, that child part of ourselves. And it, it is really helpful to, to get to know that part and to understand that part. But if me as a practitioner, if I'm only attuning to a client's child consciousness, I'm missing this adult side of them that actually really does want what's best for them and really does want to move forward in their life and be kinder to themselves and be more compassionate toward themselves. And so a lot of times that, that doesn't get as much attention because a lot of times if let's say a client comes in and they're really self-sabotaging a lot, we don't have to go digging for the inner child. The inner child is already running the show. Like the inner child is in the driver's seat, absolutely driving the bus. And then the adults like way in the back, like screaming, like, no, stop. And so part of what I really appreciate about NARM is that it, it absolutely looks at both, but there is this really strong bias, I guess you could say toward listening to what the adult wants because that's really that's really what the client is after at the end of the day yeah and i find i'd like you to go a little bit deeper into this and i've worked with thousands of people around the world and one of the things that i often hear is i don't know who i am i i don't know what i want and as they step through coaching with me it's always about like let's create the framework but somebody comes to you and they're like, day one, they're like, man, I just don't know, Iris. Like, my life is in chaos. I don't know what I want. I don't know who I am. I'm stuck. I'm lost. Like, 
like, how do you start this process of like moving into understanding who you are as an adult human being? Did you know that recent studies show that CBD has incredible benefits for helping with physical pain? I have and suffer from chronic pain. I've mentioned it before. And with NW Recovery's Lavender Eucalyptus Salve, I have that pain dissipate like nothing else I've ever tried. I love NW Recovery not only because their products are non-psychoactive, which is really important to me, but also because they are created by Navy SEALs. So, Thank you so much for your service. If you're interested and you want to learn more about NW Recovery's CBD balm of lavender eucalyptus, then check out nw-recovery.com and use the keyword unbroken to save 20% on your first order. Again, that's nw-recovery.com and use the keyword unbroken to save 20% on your order. Yeah, I mean... That can be a really long and complicated process. I'll just want to state that at the outset. I mean, I think there's certain things where, you know, if someone truly was like, my life is an utter chaos and I, I don't know who I am at all, I would probably send them to a therapist. I would say that sort of outside of the scope of coaching, at least that's how I feel about it. But let's just say, there is some level of, you know, like their life isn't completely in shambles, but there are some consistent themes and patterns that are just not working and they're confused about what they want and who they are. That's a little bit different. And usually I just get really, really interested. Like if, if you're sitting there in front of me, there is something that you're wanting. Maybe it's just to feel a little bit better so that you can be more calm with your daughter, for example. Or maybe you just want to be able to control your anger so you're not having outbursts at work. You know, there's, there's some way in, there's some clear thing that that person is wanting. You don't have to know exactly who you are. You don't have to have, you know, a five-year plan of everything you want to happen if you can at least pinpoint one thing that you're wanting for yourself, then that can become this point of exploration where we can start. And then from there, so many other things start to unfold. Yeah, and one of the things you, you mentioned was the fact that it might take a really long time. My, my favorite word is patience because it is a, <laughs> it is a marathon. Can you talk about the power of that word in, in this process and what that means? Sure. Yeah, I mean, well, it, it is critical in the process. And I think it's really challenging because we live in such an instant gratification culture where we're just, you know, like same day delivery on Amazon. We're so used to wanting something and then getting it. And it just unfortunately doesn't work that way in mental health. And so I think things can start to shift. You know, you may have very small wins as in the beginning as you go, but you know, if you're, you're starting in this place of just despair and self-loathing, it's going to take some time to get to this place where you can really feel practiced and in, in being compassionate toward yourself. And so, I mean, what I like to tell people, I tried so many things 
And so many of them really weren't helpful, but I tried so many things and I kept trying and I kept trying. And, you know, I, th I think even the things that weren't overwhelmingly helpful, maybe there was this just tiny little kernel from something that started a new thought process for me or, or started a new inquiry. And so just little by little, these, these baby steps over time start to make a huge difference. And it may not feel like it in the moment. I like to keep journals and it's been fascinating to like go back and look at my journals from when I was you know, 18, 19 years old. It didn't necessarily feel that whole time like big shifts were happening, but when you go back a few years and look, it, it can be kind of mind blowing how much is actually happening. And so, yeah, I would say absolutely patience is, is necessary because otherwise you're, you're gonna wanna give up. But also developing the skill, which is definitely a skill of, of noticing the small wins as you're, you're going through that process is, is gonna help give you more patience, I think. Yeah. And giving yourself accolades and appreciation is so important in this journey because, and I often tell my clients this, like, if you don't believe in yourself, who will? And ultimately you have to stand in front of that mirror and be like, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm happy that you made the right decisions today. But people think that somehow, and, and I want your opinion on this because I'd be really fascinated with your thoughts. I see this often where people make a mistake and immediately they feel like they are reverted back down to zero to baseline, starting over from scratch. Talk about how you really navigate making mistakes or falling back in the healing journey. Totally. Yeah. Well, especially, I mean, you see this in recovery from substance use quite a bit and certainly recovery from an eating disorder. It's really rare. I mean, of course I'm sure it happens, but it's really rare to just decide that you're going to stop and, for that to be it. And so there are going to be mistakes. And what really helps me through that process, because I mean, I honestly have no idea how many times I relapsed in bulimia recovery, probably hundreds of times. And at first I would just beat myself up about it. Later on, I started just getting really curious about it. It's like, okay, what, what was going on prior to this? What what was I not dealing with? What was I not willing to let myself feel? What was I not saying? What was I not giving myself permission to do? You know, I started getting interested in, in what was leading to that. And then I started also getting really interested in, in what that whole process and experience was like. I just basically took a, a microscope and started looking at every aspect of the experience and trying to learn as much as I could from it because I knew that, I think intuitively I, I knew for a long time, like we, we don't do things for no reason. <laughs> we don't do things like we are, there, there is hidden logic in everything that we do. And so putting on my detective hat and looking for the logic, looking for the patterns, you know, then, then the relapses, they weren't, they weren't fun. And I, I wasn't, you know, wanting to create those, but it, when they happened, I could at least sort of mine them for information. And that became very, very helpful. Yeah. And in that information, I always think about this mistakes are not failures as much as their points of data in measurements in which we can determine what's next. Because I look at one of my mentors, 
taught me something really special. And he said, you know, if you can turn life's problems into mathematical equations, you can always find a solution. And that, that hit me so hard because what I understood about that was it's not always cut and dry. Like there is so much about this process. And even in people, like I tell my clients all the time, like I make mistakes every day, like for sure, like that is going to happen because I'm a human being, but how do you navigate the pressure of perfection really in the healing journey and just wanting to be done and perfect and healthy and not have all that stuff? Like, how do you even, you know, how do you do this? I mean, I think maybe this is easier said than done, but just sort of accepting the fact that that's not a thing like you can't heal perfectly you can't do anything perfectly and I mean that's that's really hard if you're struggling with perfectionism because I think there's this idea that well if I can just be perfect enough then I can protect myself from pain and so we're naturally of course we would want to be perfect then if that's sort of an underlying belief or if I need to be perfect to be loved, if I need to be perfect to be accepted, if I need to be perfect to, to not feel shame, of course, we're going to be chasing that. And I think there is this kind of disillusionment process, I think, that comes with healing where we start to, to internalize that some of these ideas we had about healing, about what's possible, are, are not really reality. It's more of a fantasy and then also realizing that that really, this is going to be an oversimplification, but on some level, I think what we're really, really wanting is, is love and belonging and to feel safe in the world. And so, you know, a lot of this perfectionism or this pursuit of, of healing in this very linear particular way is really our way of trying to give ourselves that, of trying to, to find that, that connection, that belonging, that sense of safety. And so if we can just start attending to that, like, okay, what do I need to do to, to connect to myself? What do I need to do to connect to other people? What do I need to do to feel safe and secure within myself? And tending to that, it's just, it's a, it's a different orientation toward it. And, and that can be sad, I mean, <laughs> you if you really have this idea that like I'm just going to pursue this perfect path and then I'm going to perfectly heal and then then you know everything's going to be great and I'll be happy forever that's a hard idea to let go of but you know the human experience is is complicated <laughs> yeah. yeah right and, and and part of it is that I often think about is when you're stepping into this and you're trying to do those things like create love connection um, kindness, community, all of these things. And you've spent your life not being able to be intuitive or follow your gut because there's always a ramification in your action. And you step into this plateau where you're looking at life and you're assessing it and you're trying to figure out, okay, like, where do I really begin? That can be so complicated and also simultaneously terrifying. If you were to give someone listening right now, just one marker, of where to begin, just to step into what's next in their life, what would that be? Well, I'm gonna give a very unsexy answer, which is like, I really think talking to a trauma-informed coach or therapist, somebody who's really trained in working with trauma is gonna be your best friend in this process. The reason why I, I go there instead of saying like, okay, start here is because 
different types of trauma often warrant different approaches. And so, you know, if you have a shock trauma versus, you know, developmental trauma, that's gonna likely need to be handled slightly differently. And so I would just recommend talking to someone who's well-versed in these things and, and see, maybe that's not the person that you, you know, stay working with forever, but talking to someone who, who will know where to point you for you specifically, since your, your path and your experience is your own. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And I look at whether it's finding a coach or a therapist or small group or whatever, as being in alignment. And I look at it very much like, like dating. And in fact, when I found my therapist, the guy who now I've been with for years and years and years, I had 30 phone calls with therapists before I landed on him. And because I'm very type A, I like spread, put a spreadsheet together, looked at qualifications, had like an interview with them. Like a lot of people are just diving into the first thing they find. But the truth is like, you got to do a little bit of research first. So as a, as a coach, tell to what you just said, like do some research and you don't have to stick with the right, with the first person, because like, honestly, I would assume like even our styles are so much different in the approach and who you need is not who I need. And you got to keep that in mind. It's not one size fits all. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know how many therapists I've been through to find the right fit. And yeah, it was quite a few. And yeah, dating is a great analogy because it's like, all these therapists could be wonderful human beings and just not the right fit, you know? And there's typically going to be just some kind of resonance when you find someone that, that you're really going to feel safe talking to, that you're really going to connect with. And maybe you'll get lucky and it'll be the first person you talk to, but maybe it'll be the 10th. So just keep trying. And I know that's hard when you're like really struggling and, that you don't have the energy to do hardly anything. Um, so in that case, sometimes just talking to someone for a little while until you feel a little bit better as sort of a stopgap can be helpful, but I definitely recommend to continue looking until you really find someone that feels like a, like a soul connection. Yeah, exactly. And you know, it's better to get started than to stand on the sidelines. So, you know, just take the first step and that's a challenge and I get it. Trust me. I, I think we get it right, but there's so much power in it. Just take the first step, even if you're scared, because that means you're probably onto something. Iris, this conversation has been absolutely amazing. Thank you for being here. Um, before I ask you my last question, can you tell everybody where they can find you? Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, Instagram is a great place to find me. It's just at Iris McAlpin. Cause then in my, I have a link tree that has links to my podcast and other interviews that I've done and my website and all of that. And I have a free class on self-sabotage that's linked there as well. It kind of goes into developmental psychology and how that influences self-sabotage. So that's always a, a good place to find me. Awesome. Love it. And Iris, my last question for you, my friend is, what does it mean to you to be unbroken? Yeah, when I hear unbroken, the word that immediately comes with that is resilience. And to me, I just think part of what makes humanity so incredibly beautiful to me is just this deep well of, of reserves that we have, this incredible resilience that we have that sometimes we don't 
recognize or don't even know is there until we're, we're tested in a significant way. And so, you know, as broken as I thought I was for so long, I wasn't, I wasn't broken at all. And I was just wounded and needed support. And with support, I was able to start to tap into that resilience that was always there waiting for me. So, so that's what I think of with that. I love it. And I think that's a perfect way to end this conversation. Iris, my friend, thank you so much for being a part of this Unbroken Nation. Thank you guys all for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Unbroken Nation, hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode. I want to know what you think. Please do me a favor and review, rate, and share the episode with three friends on social media today. It would mean the world if you did, because ultimately at the end of the day, creating community and connection is how we heal generational trauma in the world. And I need your help to do that Unbroken Nation. So if you're on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are, please like, comment, share, review. I want to know not only what you like about the show, but how I can make the show better, how I can make this further about helping you on your healing journey. So do me a favor. And when you do shoot me a screenshot of you making the review to my DM at Michael Unbroken on Instagram so that I can have a conversation with you, say hi, and more importantly, so I can share it with the Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.